great Odin's raven. It's crazy, it's crazy, it's crazy. This, uh, this is ridiculous. Okay, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go, with, I'll go. Hello and welcome to the FilmPulse.net podcast. This is episode number 65. My name is Adam. Today we have Ernie with us. How are you, Ernie? I'm doing great, Adam. How's it going? It's going great. Uh, today we have a great show lined up. First we'll be speaking with director Joe Granado on his film It's Dangerous to Go Alone, which is our Kickstart Sunday project of the week. Then we'll be talking about some of what we've been watching, followed by a feature review of Iron Man 3. And finally, we'll be going over this week's movie predictions and DVD and Blu-ray releases. First, let's get right into our interview with Joe Granado. Talk about It's Dangerous to Go Alone, which is a documentary about one of my favorite games, The Legend of Zelda. Let's take a listen. Let's talk about the movie. Yeah. The title is It's Dangerous to Go Alone, the movie. Yes, sir. And maybe you can tell us a little bit about what what this is going to be about. Okay. Well, um, a little little history about how it sort of transpired and came to to be. Um, about two or three years ago, I was working on another film with uh, my production company up in Baltimore, and uh, I don't know. We kind of it was one of those times where we all were sitting around drinking and 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 at a bar and sort of realizing wow you know we are we are ingratiated into adulthood now there's there's no escaping it you know or this guy this guy can't come on film set this day because he's got to work a second job so he can pay for a mortgage and this actress had to drop out because she just found out that her and her husband are pregnant and we got to work around this person's wedding schedule and everything and we started laughing about it and it, you know it became a big joke well coincidentally the same weekend me and uh, my production partner up there um decided that we wanted to sort of have a return to our youth and neither of us had ever beat Zelda 2 when we were kids. Mm-hmm. We had it, we played it, we you know, we were big into the Zelda verse, but we never beat the game and we're like that's criminal, you know? I mean, we've grown up uh-huh. playing these games and neither of us have ever ever beat that game. And so we made an admission. We sat down, and we said we we're going to play this game until it's done. And we start and you know, we ended up <laughs> acting like little kids, idiots. We didn't even want to drink. We were like ordering pizza and soda and like, you know, cursing at the TV and these juvenile curses. And, and, I, and we just started laughing about it. Like, wow, that's that's really amazing, you know, how playing this game could could take us right back to that age. Not uh, it, it erased all of the worries and all of the chaos and stuff of our, our current lives. And, and all of a sudden we're right back to, to that age. And the only thing that's mm-hmm. important to us is, is beating this game and saving this fictional world. And we just laughed at even... You know, with all the advancements in gaming, those pixelated sprites and things like that still compelled us to have that same kind of reaction. Mm-hmm. And that's where the seed was planted. That's where we started like, you know, this this might be a cool thing to take on. I don't know what, how we'd approach it, but we should really do a, like a documentary on, on Zelda. Not like a history lesson, not something that people could find just online on YouTube, but but, you know, really sort of get to the bottom of why this series is sort of lasted why it survived so long and so that that kind of planted the seed that was about you know two and a half three years ago um and then i came uh, when i moved i i sort of um i didn't want there to be a lot of time between you know film projects um and i'm i'm all alone down here when i first got here i didn't know anybody any other filmmakers or anything like that so i said you know what it's time to do a documentary what kind of documentary do i want to do and then that same guy called me up he's like why don't you just do that man do that as a documentary you should do it now now's the time and so I agreed. I said, now, now is the, the time to do this project. And I started doing all kinds of research and I started looking into, you know, all things Zelda, just 
hitting up different people that I knew and from throughout the years and, and um, different filmmakers I knew that worked on Zelda-related projects that I kind of knew through common friends or acquaintances. And, and um, then all of a sudden I found all these artists and I found, you know, best-selling authors and I found um, the illustrator for Google is even this huge Zelda fan that works Triforces into all those little Google logos that pop up for like, you know, like the 4th of July mm -hmm. logo for Google. It'll have like stars and stripes and things like that, but then in the bottom left corner you'll see this little triforce that no one really notices, and uh, you know I just started thinking, wow, now that is compelling. That is a way to approach this story. We were kids. All of us were, you know, some of us when the first game came out were six, seven, eight years old. Now we're adults. We're creatives in our own right. We're artists and musicians and filmmakers and and business owners and 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 some of us are still paying homage to those that franchise some of us um are still inspired by that and letting it sort of inspire our work and uh and it's it's really it's really an interesting thing to think about and so we decided that's the approach we're going to take we're going to really investigate why the, the series is so compelling is it you know now it's there's the argument is are those games considered art um and 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 why those games out of out of all the rest of them you know why why are they so compelling and uh then we sort of concocted a dramatized narrative that's going to sort of tie all of the the mini documentaries together which i think uh, a lot of zelda fans are really gonna gonna kind of appreciate so, so I, that's the story in a nutshell uh first of all i'm a huge zelda fan my mm -hmm. my dog's name is zelda <laughs> I've loved the games ever since I was a little kid. So when I first saw that this uh, the, this was on Kickstarter, I was instantly drawn to it. And I think that it's interesting that you're having kind of a different take. Like you said, you're not just talking about the history of the game. You're kind of talking about the fans and the people that were really affected in a positive way with this game. And it, it sounds similar to me. Um, if you've ever seen the, the comic con movie, the Morgan Spurlock documentary, where yeah. he kind of gets into all these different facets of comic con. Sure. I actually saw that at comic con with comic conners. <laughs> and that was probably one of the highlight experiences because you're amongst them. Everybody was like, Oh my God, this is about us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm, you know, and I'm actually sort of hoping that this, it's one of the reasons that we're crowdfunding this rather than going through more traditional um, product. We have a couple of, of pretty significant offers, way more than 50 grand on the table as far as um, producing the film. Um, but there's a couple of reasons we're trying to crowdfund it first. First of all, for that exact reason you just said, um, we want the people to feel like they're part of this film, not just passively watch it, which is right. why we kind of made the, the webpage the way we did is sort of a game. It's, you know, mm -hmm. that they get to be the hero and adventure through the discovering about this film. And, and also we don't, we really don't want to have to um, appease anybody who invests into this film in the long run either. We want to tell, we want to make the film that we want to make, you know, we want mm -hmm. to make the film that we want to make for the, and not have to worry about, you know, uh, trying to, to recoup the money for an investor or anything like that. So uh, I think that's that's one of the reasons I think Kickstarter is a really good uh, source to uh, get income for this. Gets the word out to potential fans. Um, they feel like they're part of it. And I mean, a lot of these fans that are that are contributing money to it, they would have bought the DVD anyway. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like they're pre-ordering the DVD, which is nice, but it also helps us not have to rely on an investor to, to put out the film. Right. Absolutely. And I did want to touch on the website. Um, people should definitely go check out this website because essentially you created a game on the website. 
Yes, sir. And uh, you got to play it. Yeah, it has to be on a PC or a Mac. I mean, it can't be on a a, a mobile device right now. Um, but uh, if you get on with a PC, there's actually a playable game there. Yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, thezeldamovie.com for those. That's yes. That's the, the Zel- site, right? thezeldamovie.com. Um, I don't know. Have you guys played it at all? I have. Yeah. We tried to, uh, um, you're no. talking about the site game or Zelda itself? <laughs> yeah, the site, the site game. I'm sorry. Um, guilty. I have played neither. I'll probably get kicked out of the room for saying that. But. <laughs> you're not alone. You're actually not alone. It's really funny. There's a, there's a couple of guys out on the West Coast that also do sort of a, a podcast, and, and there are people who don't, that, that uh, don't play, have never played a Zelda game. I think that well, that's, I was, that's uh, criminal, Ernest. And, and they do a game podcast. That's but when I was uh, when I was young, I wasn't into RPG style games. I was more about the button mashing and uh, sure, sure, and Blades of Steel and stuff like that. It wasn't until later that I got into RPG style that, but it was like that was in the N sixty four into PlayStation one days. So I was like, I was already that was one done. Well, I yeah. think that, that that actually brings up a good question. Like, do you do you see this movie uh, creating fans? Do you think that it will entice people to go out and and play Zelda? Well, what I'm, think, that's, that's uh, a good question, and what I'm hoping um, is sort of, the, the, the short answer is sort of, yeah, I hope so. Since we decided that we needed to tell this in a narrative way, not just string together a bunch of interviews. You know, we needed a narrative sort of um, hero's journey style story to tie it together because that is Zelda. I mean, that says mm-hmm. the Zelda franchise. So we want to make it enjoyable for people who have never touched a game or aren't even into video games in general, but this might be still an interesting film to watch. They won't get all the, the inside uh, jokes. They might not appreciate it as much, but it should still be enjoyable to watch, and it hopefully will you know, foster some curiosity um, in people who have never played the game or, or, or whatnot. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the incentives that you have for this, okay. this Kickstarter project. Maybe highlight some of the ones that uh, you're particularly proud of or want to okay. entice people to, to get. Well, um, absolutely. We, uh, I mean, there's, you know, we, the only reason we haven't put a, a, digital, um, a digital version of the film on there is because we're still working on some logistics about it. And I don't want to promise something that we can't give. There is a, a digital situation in the works. I'm not going to talk anymore about it yet. Um, it's a really cool one, so that's why I'm not gonna gonna blow it early. There's like three huge pieces of news I can't talk about, and it's driving me nuts because they're <laughs> really exciting, and people would really get into them, and it would really drive people to site. But I promised I wouldn't talk to them, and the biggest one I can't talk about until the middle of June, which is after the Kickstarter's done. So that's, mm. that's frustrating. <laughs> but anyway, um, we think that the the actual game box, which will actually be in an, in a NES style game box with a NES style manual. Um, which will sort of be like the like a DVD insert, but in the style of an NES-style manual with a little story of the movie and then you know images, probably all 8-bit and, and uh, illustrated. Um, we think that's a really cool thing that, that uh, a lot of retro gamers would really enjoy. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's, that's definitely cool. And then you have also like the standard uh, DVD right. packages and all that stuff, uh, T-shirts and that type of thing as well, yep. right? T-shirt poster, DVD, uh, Blu-ray. We've said DVD because uh, same kind of thing. It's probably going to be a choice of the DVD or a Blu-ray for that price point. But we know we're going to get DVDs, and we know DVDs will work for everybody, whereas Blu-rays won't. So we, so I guess after the fact, I wanted to change it to DVD slash Blu-ray, but I can't get back in and make the alterations. So in the frequently asked questions, yeah, the, the film will be in HD. Um, I can talk about one thing. 
um, that's not listed on the Kickstarter as far as digital distribution that you guys might be into or, or that you know your listeners might be into. One of the ways that we are going to release the film, uh, and we hope that it's a very unique and interesting way that Zelda fans will appreciate, is we are going to make a uh, an actual game um, that is a sort of a metaphor for the film, uh, a game metaphor for the film. Not like an 8-bit game like you see on the site. It'll be a lot more, uh, a lot more polished than that. Um, mm. But there'll be a mobile version and there'll be a standalone version that people could buy. And what it is, is it's going to actually be a non-linear version of the film uh, where the, the, basically the beginning sections, the end sections are sort of, um, they, they're standard. You, you know, you have to unlock a certain things to get to the end um, and the beginning you're shown at the beginning. But the whole middle part, plus a ton of bonus material, is going to be interspersed throughout this adventure game that you're going to actually, be, so it's going to be a playable movie essentially where you're going to be able to unlock different parts of the, and it's going to have bonus material there too. So that's, cool. that's that's the way that we're really excited about you know getting this out there. Um, we haven't talked too much about it yet because we're, again we're still working on logistics, but it that's definitely happening. It's already in the works. That uh, yeah, that's very cool. I like that. Yeah, before the end of the Kickstarter campaign, we'll probably be showing uh, a short video of just that, not even a playable version, but someone using the iPad to show basically how it's going to work. Okay. So- uh, so you have 27 days to go as of this recording, and yeah. you're looking for a $50,000 goal. Can you tell us a, a little bit about where you stand as far as the production right now? You, you yeah, have absolutely. begun and production. I really right? like if you wouldn't mind to touch on the $50,000 because there's been a couple of people who have questioned mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of people who have never made a film before that might be scratching their head saying, Fifty thousand dollars. Oh, you could you could make a documentary for three grand. It's true. You could make a really inexpensive documentary these days with a DSLR and whatnot, and they are done. But when we're, when we're talking about something of the caliber that we want to be able to do, we're not making a sort of a talking heads over YouTube video style documentary. We're actually doing a very in depth, personal sort of one on ones with creatives all over the country. So a lot of that. Uh, production budget is going into our travels. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you're talking about having to travel to a dozen cities, rent a crew in all those cities, rent gear in all those cities, um, it gets it gets pretty pricey. And we know that at 50 grand, based on what we've spent so far, just covering some stuff on the East Coast, we're going to be under budget at 50 grand. And we're going to be sinking more of our own money or, or more investor money into it after that. And we're okay with that. You know, we're, we're 50 grand is, is reasonable. For instance, the... Uh, the, the My Little Pony documentary that just got made was funded for like $200,000 or something. Mm-hmm. There's a My yeah. Little Pony documentary? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'll tell you what. If My Little Pony documentary, if $200,000 is a reasonable amount to raise for My Little Pony, I think fifty grand could make a worthy Zelda movie. Absolutely. Uh, it's a reasonable amount. Um, but anyway, uh, we have done a lot of production already. Uh, some of it was sort of first draft, first run through to see if there was interest. Um, for instance, we did a lot of stuff in Atlanta. That Atlanta, if you didn't know, is probably the Zelda capital of the country. Really? I, I wouldn't have known that, but there's so much fan work that has originated out of Atlanta. The uh, Hero of Time movie is from Atlanta. All those guys are from Atlanta. That mm-hmm. yeah, fan feature-length film uh, based on Ocarina of Time. Zelda Outlands, which is a actual NES hardware playable ROM hack. You can actually port it to a cartridge and play it, and it's really, really good. Uh, that, he lives in Atlanta. There's a, uh, a software company called 8-Bit that they were the coolest guys that we've met so far. They 
catered us when we came to visit with them. They like had <laughs> spreads of food out, and they have the coolest space in downtown Atlanta. They're all huge Zelda fans. There's an artist called named Chris Veal who he does all this eight bit pixel art, uh, but it's all painting. You know, it's all uh, he basically paints these pixelated images, and a lot of them are eight bit NES and Zelda themed. All in Atlanta, all in one town. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did this whole weekend up there. It was really cool. We've done a, a weekend in Miami with the Symphony of the Goddesses uh, and, and the creators, and they're really cool guys, too. Um, we're going to actually meet up with them again to get some more footage because we had such a good time, and there's, we want to get a deeper interview with them. Um, we were, uh, we've done some stuff in, in New York, and we're going to go back up to the city. Uh, trying to actually get into, I don't know if you guys know, but Museum of Modern Art up there has a right now has a gallery featuring video games classic video games yeah yeah uh, and we're actually trying to get in with a, a couple of them and sit down with them and talk to them about their perception of early gaming as art um and where um those 8-bit games sort of fit in uh not necessarily zelda but definitely include zelda in that conversation so um yeah i mean we, we've done a lot already and we've got a ton lined up and it's kind of like we're just waiting for the travel budget to get west um, we've got stuff to film in LA, Sacramento, San Francisco, Seattle, Portland, Colorado. Um, we've got some stuff in, we're definitely going to, um, uh, uh, Austin, Texas. So there's stuff all over the country we want to hit. Uh, we keep adding more every day. If we reach some ridiculous stretch goal, like a hundred grand, we'll end up going to Japan if we can afford it. Um, so there's a lot of stuff done and a lot of stuff still left to do. Great. So completion date, any ideas? I, I really don't want to say. Okay. I, right, right now, I've been we've been saying December. We're going to be sort of done with a what I want to call sort of a first draft. And, and what I mean by that is we are, like I said, the primary way that we want to release this is with that game, that right. app. And I don't think that's going to be ready by then. But we'll ha- we're hoping to have a 90-minute version of the film uh, through our digital distribution channels and at least out to press for our DVD, Blu-ray, or creating the artwork for it, et cetera. The, the film and the editing will be done by about December. But that all depends on the Kickstarter, if, if funding goes through. If not, yeah, we're still going to do it, and it's probably going to take a little bit longer. So. Okay. All right. Well, Joe, thank you so much for taking some time to speak with us. Thank you, guys, man. Thanks again, Joe. The film is It's Dangerous to Go Alone. Be sure to check out the link to the Kickstarter campaign in the show notes and also on the Kickstarter Sunday section of the website. Next up, let's go ahead and talk about someone we've been watching. I think I'll kick it off this week. First up, I didn't get a chance to talk about it last week because I saw it the day that we recorded, but I did see Michael Bay's Pain and Gain. I still haven't seen that yet. <laughs> um, I'm not a fan of Michael Bay. I don't I don't particularly like really anything. I like The Rock, okay, but not a big fan of Bad Boys. We talked about it on the show last week. Um, but I actually liked Pain and Gain. I didn't think that it was anything amazing, but I thought that Michael Bay was more restrained in this than he has right. been in recent memory. Uh, it, it's does he still does he still have like one second shots cut to another shot one second no shot? <laughs> uh, yeah, he does. There's a little bit of that. I mean, he does some of the the uh, spinning camera stuff that that we saw a lot of in like Bad Boys Two. Mm-hmm. Did he have a uh, at least have a Will Smith Martin Lawrence moment where they're getting up from the bottom of the frame and the camera's spinning around them? <laughs> uh, no, it wasn't anything that 
crazy. There was one that I'm thinking of where he kind of did that with Mark Wahlberg and The Rock kind of standing there and the camera was spinning around them, but I don't think it came up from underneath or anything. But uh, I thought it was funny. It was it was crazy because it's a true story. And I know mm-hmm. that some of the elements were embellished for the movie, but the the broad strokes were all true. And to me, that's just insane. This, this story is so crazy. But I actually did really enjoy myself. I thought that this was probably the best performance that The Rock has ever done. And I like The Rock. But right. I, I thought that he was hilarious. And I like when The Rock and Mark Wahlberg do comedic roles. So mm-hmm. I was I was definitely into it. I thought it was really funny. And it's it's not anything amazing, but I, I do recommend checking it out. Uh, yeah, I definitely plan on saying it. Yeah, I think, I think you'd like it. Uh, Gina was supposed to review it for us, but uh, she didn't get it to me yet. So we still have a review up on the site. <laughs> but hopefully that'll be up sometime. Uh, then I saw Sundolt Shine, the Amy Simetz film. Okay. Uh, this is on playing on demand right now. I believe Kevin talked about it last week, and I got a chance to see it this week. Uh, I think that this is her first. I think that this is her directorial debut. Um, I, I thought it was okay. It, it basically, it's about a, a couple who is on the run from the law, and they are in Central Florida, and it's definitely an indie. I'll say that. Mm. I mean, it's got. It's got that indie feel to it, uh, pretty much textbook. Uh, but it, it is still well shot, well acted. Uh, and for fans of indies, indie dramas, I would say it's probably worth a watch. Mm-hmm. I saw Five Fingers of Death, which is a kung fu film from 1972. Nice. This was part of my Grindhouse Weekly feature. I really enjoyed this. I think that by today's standards, it wasn't anything special. But as I was watching it, I was kind of trying to imagine if I had never seen a martial arts film before. Because that's kind of the way it was when this movie came out. This came out before Enter the Dragon. It came out before all the big uh, Hong Kong action flicks before they hit the States. This was kind Mm. of the one that started the craze. And it's... It's decent. I mean, it's exactly what you think of when you think of a 70s kung fu flick. It's got... Is it, uh, is it more about the fights and story is secondary, or is there well, actually an attempt to make some sort of story? Well, that's kind of the interesting thing, is that there is a deeper story in this than most of them, uh, but it's not... It doesn't get convoluted or anything like that. It's a fairly simple story. I think that Enter the Dragon has a more simple story, but... I still think Enter the Dragon is better than this. And mm-hmm. that's why a lot of people haven't even heard of this uh, because Enter the Dragon came out the same year as this. And as soon as Enter the Dragon hit theaters, this was pretty much forgotten. Mm. And uh, But I do recommend checking it out, especially if you're uh, an old school action fan. Yep, uh, I will definitely do that. <laughs> I caught a couple documentaries this week that are that were screening at hot docs one of them is called bending steel and it's a documentary about old time strong men and at first i was like eh, that doesn't really interest me at all but after watching it i mean this is 
a solid documentary. I was pleasantly surprised. It's an old school, uh, what era, like 20s, 30s? Yeah, like, uh, I mean, it's it's a modern time. Basically, it's about this group of guys that are trying to bring back the the old time strongman, like steel bending, uh, horseshoe bending, mm-hmm. that type of thing. I like the circus right, style. Exactly. So, and and that's part of what they're doing is they're trying to revive this kind of lost art, if you will. And mm-hmm. they're trying to put together a performance uh, to do on Coney Island. And it, it's interesting because a, a portion of the movie took place in my hometown of York, Pennsylvania, which I thought <laughs> was interesting because uh, my hometown has a company called York Barbell and it's a, a really famous company that makes barbells and there was a portion of the movie that took place there and I've been to the Coney Island sideshow many times and that's where another large portion of the movie took place on Coney Island and it, it was really interesting I, I like movies like this and I feel like there's been a lot of documentaries over the last few years that have had the focus be on some sort of uh, interesting job or someone that has an, a weird hobby. I just feel like there's been a lot of movies like that. Mm. And the thing that always kind of elevates these movies from being something of just like a weird oddity to watch is strong characters. And this, this movie has a really uh, strong central character. I believe his name's uh, Chris uh, Sheck, probably pronouncing his last name wrong but he's a really interesting guy he's really nice and articulate and that really kind of made the movie more enjoyable to watch Uh, then i saw tales from the organ trade which is a documentary about illegal organ trafficking i'm intrigued already just by the title alone (laughs) yeah uh this is this is a it it screened at hot docs it's an hbo documentary so i would imagine that it's going to be on HBO in the coming months. Very interesting. I mean, I had no idea. I mean, you hear stories about illegal organ trading, but you never really, you, just, you don't know the whole story until you see this movie. It's it's mm-hmm. incredibly interesting. And like before seeing this movie, I was just like, oh, that's a very grim topic. And like... So it's, it's more in line of reality based and not like that urban legend uh, organ donor kind of... Oh no, it's thing, re- yeah, but- it's it's all. I mean, they they interview people that received uh illegally traded organs. They talk to brokers that set up the deals between them. Uh and they talk to there's entire villages in the Philippines where everyone donates a kidney for money. Wow. And it is so interesting. It's just a fascinating movie and and it really kind of shows two sides to this now before seeing it i just thought to myself well that's it's terrible like how can there be two sides to this it just seems like the worst thing ever but after seeing the movie you realize that it's not a black and white scenario that there Mm -hmm. there are aspects of it that kind of make it seem like it's not such a bad thing i mean if if the person donating the kidney is receives enough money that he can buy a house and start a business to you know feed his family mm-hmm. and the person receiving the kidney has their life saved because of it is it is it such a bad thing 
no, I don't think so. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I know there's the whole thing. It's like, you gotta wait the line and all that stuff. But it seems to make sense. Yeah, it's it's just a very interesting. I mean, it raises a lot of questions, and it's quite quite interesting. And I highly recommend that whenever it comes out. Um, I did see which way is the front line from here, which is a documentary about the the photojournalist Tim Hetherington that was killed in Libya. And this is actually available, this screened at Hot Docs as well, and it's available on um, HBO right now. So if you have HBO, you can check it out on HBO Go or whatever. Um, it, was, it was pretty good. It was, it was directed by uh, the guy who did uh, Restrepo, uh, because Tim Hetherington worked with, uh, his name's Sebastian Younger. Mm-hmm. They worked together on Restrepo. That was nominated for an Oscar, wasn't it? Yeah. I don't. I I'm so. not sure if yeah. it won, but it was nominated. Um, it's. It, it was pretty good. It was obviously very sad because he he was killed. But mm. it more than like being a well put together, substantial documentary. It felt more like he was just kind of making this more for like his friends and family, kind of to honor him. Uh, so it it was good, but it wasn't like anything. It wasn't on the same level as Restrepo, put it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then finally, the only other one I wanted to just briefly touch on is The History of Future Folk, which is uh, it's an indie film that I believe won, I think it was the Audience Award at last year's Fantastic Fest. And this is a science fiction musical comedy about... Uh, an alien that comes to Earth in order to destroy it and then finds he discovers music. And instead of destroying Earth, he starts up a bluegrass band. <laughs> okay. And if that sounds ridiculous, it is, it is ridiculous. But at the same time, I loved this movie. It was the music is great. Um I can't speak highly enough of it. I believe it hits theaters May 31st, and I'm not going to get really deeply into it because I think we're going to be reporting more on it later. Um, we are in the process mm-hmm. of speaking with the the directors of the film, so we're going to cool. have more on it later. But It make sounds sure... like something Alex Cox and Werner Herzog would make together. <laughs> I mean, it, definitely <laughs> worth checking out. I mean, it's a light film. It's it's. Uh, I, I don't think it's rated, but it probably would be like PG-13 or something. It's it's not violent or anything. It's just very mm-hmm. fun and highly recommend checking that out. But stay tuned. Oh. We're going to report more on that later. And that's pretty much all I have besides Iron Man 3. All right. Cool. Cool. Uh, well, I've been pretty busy over the last week or so, um, hitting film festivals and uh, doing a lot of the uh, repertoire cinema that LA is known for. But um, I started off with uh, the United Film Fest, and uh, my reviews are on the site. Uh, first one of interest uh, was Park City, which is a uh, light comedy about a group of filmmakers going to Sundance uh, with their one and only print. And when they get there, they lose the print. <laughs> it was uh, that's almost like a nightmare situation. And I was like, and it's like, yeah, it seemed a bit of a stretch because it's like uh, uh, they uh, require Sundance requires that the, the material be there like a week in advance. But then uh, my friend Calvin corrected me. He's like, no, there's been instances where people showed up like minutes before their screening and got there. And it's like, 
oh, so it really can happen. (laughs) (laughs) All right, then, okay, even better. But it was pretty entertaining. It was basically like, uh, I mentioned in my review, it was like The Hangover Goes to Sundance. Mm. So it's like, instead of being a straight-up comedy of errors, it's like, oh, my God, what do we do? Events unfold like it's The Hangover, So which is no fault of theirs, but it's still kind of entertaining. Then to tie in with our with our uh, Kickstarter uh, uh, program, uh, there was uh, one called Your Friends Close, which is kind of a video game type of uh, narrative. It didn't really work. I mean, there was stuff going on that was interesting, and you're wondering, where's all this going? Why should I care? But once they reveal what it's all about, you're like, eh. <laughs> but then I, I was thinking it would have been more effective if they still had the same ending but took a different route. Because as I'm watching the movies, like, without giving away, it's like, I really have a feeling this, obviously, this is not what it seems, and there's more to it. As I'm, like, watching more characters appear, listening to what they're saying, I'm like, yep, I definitely think there's a, there's something going on here, and it's going to be real at the end. When they reveal it, I'm like, I'm not a filmmaker, but I kind of like what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, if you, if you do happen to check it out, and you know, you'll get your own ideas. But in the end, it just didn't come together. Mm. Uh, another one of interest that I saw was Sator Mania, which is a documentary about wrestling and Hulk Hogan. <laughs> um, a fan as a kid of wrestling grows up and over the years develops a very close, tight friendship with Hulk Hogan. <laughs> it's like, and it was like pretty interesting, pretty interesting. Even celebrities have to have their regular Joe friends to keep them grounded. Mm-hmm. And, and it was like pretty cool to see these two as like really our friends. It wasn't just like some setup or anything for a wrestling arc or anything like that. But these guys are actually close because you see them get through some really, really hard times together. So it was like, wow, that was cool. Um, so that was the film fest. And then I spent a lot of time hitting the uh, repertoire cinema that's constantly rolling out all kinds of movies you want to see. Like I got to see The Untouchables and the Cinerama Dome. Which is one of the uh, one of three existing Cinerama theaters in the country, I think. Which is really sweet seeing that in the theater again. Uh, um, I don't know if you ever seen a silent film with live accompanied orchestra. No, I haven't. Uh, I saw the original family and a German expressionist film called Morning Morn to Midnight with a live orchestra. Wow. Uh, the orchestra is called Alloy Orchestra, so the, the orchestrations are not your typical... I mean, if you've seen a silent film on video, it's got that typical piano accompaniment or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And like it has, like, usually the pan, piano accompaniment is, like, is incongruous with on screen. Like, it's supposed to be hard. It's like... But these guys did a whole new theme that really adds a new dimension to the movie itself. And what I really loved is like at certain times is like where there's an action cue on screen or a sound supposed to come up, they actually play a cue to tie in with that, like a doorbell ring. I was uh-huh. like, oh, that was cool. Uh, that was really entertaining. Uh, also, um, there was an animated film uh, came out in the early 80s called Twice Upon a Time. I don't know if you ever heard of that one. No, I don't think so. Uh I had a certain history that I was kind of aware of, but it was really interesting to finally see this because I guess now I've finally seen it for the first time. But when this came out, it got lost in the shuffle because of uh, business dealings and company possible uh, bankruptcy and all that. Uh, it was an animated film. It was done, locked, ready to go. It was put into release. Prior to its release, the studio where producers wanted to avoid this being just like a saccharine G-rated animated features so they wanted to beef it up a little bit so they could attract a more adult audience so they just said 
they had the actors come in, re-record dialogue, and load it up with profanity. <laughs> <laughs> Which was like, wow. And then it was released, and parents were upset beyond belief because it's like characters are saying ass, shit, and all kinds of other uh, racy dialogue. And then the movie was yanked and never put back out. So pretty much the movie bombed because it's like, yeah. But the uh, director was like saying, it's like, I knew about it. I knew what they wanted to do, but there was really nothing I could do. <laughs> so stepping forward to its VHS release and HBO release, it was shown on HBO, but nobody checked to see which version they had. So the version that aired on HBO was the uncensored version. Mm. And I believe that is the version that I saw all those years ago. So I think I, I kind of vaguely remember thinking it was a kind of funny that these guys are cursing up a storm. I'm like, oh, this is cool. I love this. But I had no idea there was an alternate version until they just screened it out here. And it was like a whole different movie. It's like uh, two instances of uh, one one character says asshole, I think, and another one says shit. But I think those are the only two incidences that got into that cut, which was supposed to be the fine. And I was like, oh, that was cool. That was interesting. I kind of enjoyed it. And then I looked, I think, the unrated versions on YouTube. And if you look at it, and right off the bat, you notice the difference. Like the villain in the beginning, the villain is like trying to give a speech to his minions. And it was like a pretty generic speech, kind of entertaining. But then in the unrated version he's like hey i know you guys want to do this i wanted you want to do that it's like no all i gotta say to that is tough shit mm. <laughs> like, like whoa that is so different from what i just saw <laughs> so it's definitely um a interesting piece to i think i know the unrated version is the only one that's out there right now on the cut version they're really trying to uh push warner archive to get released on their uh, mod uh program so hopefully that happens, and they're hopefully trying to get both versions on there. Uh, that was that was fun. Then uh, I saw Ricky O, the story of Ricky, uh, probably one of the most outrageous, violent, bloody. I have that on DVD. Uh, martial arts movies. It was that was a lot of fun to see with an audience. And uh, then um, the other day, Escape from New York, uh, which uh, was shown in a brand new DCP, which looked fabulous. But the highlight was that they were able to get Kurt Russell for a Q&A. And he never does Q&A, so that was really cool. He was a lot of fun to talk to, uh, listen to, and, and stuff like that. The other one I saw was, uh, besides Iron Man 3, uh, I just saw Generation Um with uh, Keanu oh, Reeves yeah. and directed by Mark Mann. Uh, haven't posted my review yet because I'm still processing the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's very much a, an indie film. And it's basically just like, takes these characters and... You're wondering who these people are, and they're talking about stuff, whining about stuff, and you're basically like, "Why should I care?" And they're going through that movie, it's like, "Why should I care? What are they? Why? Why are they complaining? Who are these people? And why can I not stop watching?" So you're saying it's like a Richard Linklater movie? <laughs> yeah, definitely like that. And you're wondering who these people are, and you're like listening to this stuff, and there's like some like it's well performed, and there's like great dialogue and like great scenes, and. Once it gets to the end, it was like it's like you're floored. It's like I don't know why I was floored. But you're like thinking as it got to the end, you're like, whoa, wait, well, really, it makes sense. But wow, it's like, <laughs> so I'm still trying to process. It's like okay, I kind of didn't care about these people, but I'm still intrigued about what's going on. And when it all came, when it all became clear, I'm like, that was crazy. I still don't like these people, but it still makes sense. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> I'm vaguely interested in that. I, I do want to check that out at some point. And so that was uh, that was pretty good. So that pretty much wrapped up my week uh, of nonstop movie watching. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
All right. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead. Let's get right into our thoughts on Iron Man 3. The uh, Iron Man 3 is directed by Shane Black. Uh, the synopsis says, When Tony Stark's world is torn apart by a formidable terrorist called the Mandarin, he starts an odyssey of rebuilding and retribution. Uh, the film stars Robert Downey Jr., Gwyneth Paltrow, Don Cheadle, Guy Pierce, Rebecca Hall, John Favreau, Ben Kingsley. Uh, am I forgetting anybody? There's a ton of people in this. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of people. I guess, okay, so you, you reviewed the movie for the site. That's up mm. now. I think I'll start it off. Um, I, I read your review after I saw it and kind of formulated my own thoughts because I didn't want to be influenced in any way. And uh, I pretty much agree with everything that you said in your review, actually. And mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot of nitpicks that one can make with this with this movie. But yep, small and big ones if you're a fan. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. But, Definitely big ones if you're a fan. But they didn't it didn't really bother me. I mean, I was I was thinking of these nitpicks in my head as I was watching the movie. But the 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 fact remains is that the tone, the quality and the action scenes alone made up for all of that for me. Uh, I had a great time with this movie. Mm-hmm. I was extremely entertained. I thought that the action scenes were incredible. I, I wanted more of the action. And yeah. uh, I think that the the final scene at the end, and, and we're not going to give any spoilers away. If, if we think that it's necessary, we can do a, a spoiler section maybe after we do the main review here, but mm-hmm. uh, I thought that the action scene at the end was worth the price of admission just th- for that. I mean, it was pretty, in- pretty yeah, it incredible. Was, it was incredible and it's insane, but orchestrated so well that you're never lost on what's going on because there's so much going on in that finale. There's like, like simultaneously, there's like something on something going on over here with mm-hmm. uh, Rose, something going on over here with Pepper, something going on over here with uh, Stark. And it's all like, it's not a mess, but you're like, okay, it was like, a, you're able to totally follow everything. And it just flows very smoothly. And it's really uh, exciting. So, and people were like, when I, in the theater, people were like on edge. I was like, I remember seeing people jumping up and down and so forth a couple of times. I'm like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and so. one thing that I want to touch on uh, th- th- that I thought uh, was, what made this movie so good was the fact that Tony Stark has the character has fundamentally changed Mm -hmm. since the Avengers. And I think that with Shane Black deciding to go that route, I think that that, that just enriches the entire story. I mean, it it might even, I might even go as far to say that, that, that this could completely enrich the entire Marvel movie universe if they decide to do the same thing with thor and the new captain america mm. where mm-hmm. it's like the the conse- there's there's consequences to to yeah. things and yeah the fact that they explored the the results or the outcome mm. of the avengers and how that has changed him as a person i think that that's yeah. really interesting that they did that it goes off and see you see like a movie where they save the world, and then the next movie, there's like they never really show anything happening. Like even in James Bond, it's like okay, it's like nope, you stole Bond. Yeah, I did that mission, but there's really nothing. I mean, sure, with the uh, Daniel Craig one, the uh, scars of uh, Vespa are still visible, but um, 
but it's never really played up as it was in Iron Man 3. And uh, I agree with that. I totally love the fact that they did that with his character. And it was like, I thought that was the richest that Stark has ever looked in all three movies or all four movies. Yeah. And it was like, I really love that, that they was like, even by the third movie, they were willing to really flesh him out even further and make him even better. So I was like, I definitely think that after three, he's definitely going to be a changed person for whatever incarnation happens next, whether we don't see him again until Avengers two or whatever. But yeah. And I think that that's so interesting how they can evolve the character. I mean, with so many of these superhero movies, I'll use Wolverine as an example. In every movie that we've seen Wolverine in, he's the same character. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's really no like evolution of how he thinks, like the psychology of him. And I mean, maybe yeah. Wolverine's not yeah. a good example because of just oh, who the no, character it is. It would but... be because he's a more, he's essentially immortal. And if you if you saw X Men's X Men Wolverine. Uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine, you see that he, he lived through the Civil War. He lived through World War II. And if you happen to see the uh, trailer for uh, Wolverine, he, he lived through Hiroshima. Mm-hmm. So it was like, there's you never see how that impacted him because he just lived through three of the hardest, like toughest moments in human history. And it was like, hmm, just shaves it off like he just cut himself and then he heals over and moves on. Yeah, and I, I think that that's what is so intriguing about this with this film that I didn't expect. I mean, just how he's trying to cope with what happened to him. I mean, and, and really, you know, like in like a actual character. And I like, it was like, hmm, whatever, move on. It's like, there's some deep stuff there. Yeah. And, and I mean, we all know that t- the character of Tony Stark is flawed. He's always been flawed, but I think that adding this, like if it's PTSD or whatever it is, adding this in, I think that just, enhances the character even more and makes him even more uh fully developed and i think that that's Mm -hmm. just incredible and i like the fact that a lot of the this movie is not him in the iron man suit yeah yeah definitely it was like it shows that he may be iron man but it doesn't always need the suit to be an effective detective and superhero so and i think that that probably has something to do with shane black and the choices that he made because I love Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. That's Yeah, that was a great movie. I love that movie. And I definitely saw similarities with Iron Man 3 and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang because there are elements in Iron Man 3 where he is kind of playing a detective and it's, it turns into almost this like espionage type thing where he's, mm. you know, figuring figuring out what's going on and he doesn't have the suit and he has to like improvise. And I think that that's, that's all great. Uh, the Mandarin, I thought, was a great villain for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to get too deep into that character uh, because there could be potential for big spoilers there. And I think that we are. Right. I think we will do a spoiler section because I do want to talk about that. But mm. um, yeah, I've talked. I've talked to friends regarding that stuff, and people have been mixed. So yeah. So uh, before we get into the spoiler section, is there anything else you want to add about maybe the broad strokes of the film in general? Um, I just love if you've, I'm sure most people who are fans of the site uh, have seen phase one. And um, if this is where phase two is starting, I really like how the broad stroke, it's very much darker. The Avengers as, as an event, as something that's discussed in Iron Man 3, is the Avengers opened up Pandora's box. And characters are like referencing New York. Characters are referencing Thor and saying it's like, yeah, it was like once that that big guy with the hammer came down, all mm-hmm. bets are off. And and uh, and um, 
And uh, Tony's like saying, after New York, things have changed, and we see what happens with him. But I'm really, I'm hoping that this is where it's going for Phase Two, because <laughs> personally, I'm just waiting for that moment where where uh, Tony Stark looks down and says, "There's a talking raccoon." <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, and, and waiting for that moment. <laughs> that's <laughs> which. Yeah, so. you, you know that that's going to happen. But uh, I think but, that I think that you bring up a good a good point. I also want to quickly mention that this is a very funny movie. There's a lot of comedy in this movie and it nearly, nearly all of it works, at least in my opinion. I thought that it was very funny. I think Um, my favorite, uh, my favorite line was when he was uh, talking to a kid about his father who abandoned him. Oh yeah. (laughs) I don't want to give the line away, but it was just really very funny. I I loved (laughs) the dynamic between him and that, and that kid was great too yeah yeah and most movies or in other hands it might have been very cheesy or, or lame or or come off as unnecessary almost but it, it worked uh for this movie yeah and i i want to go back briefly to what you were saying about how this is a darker movie and it is a darker movie and i think that 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 might have caused some division with fans because some people are are kind of lamenting the fact that Oh, everything has to be dark, you know. Since since the Dark Knight, all these superhero movies have to be dark, and it's yes, this is a darker film than the other two. But I don't think that it's that they made it dark just to be trendy or anything mm-hmm. like that. What I'm hoping is that this is all a build up to uh, the Avengers too, and I'm hoping that all of them. I'm hoping that all of the movies that we see in this phase two business are darker because I'm hoping that they take a, an empire strikes back approach to it mm. and make it kind of a more grim movie so that in phase yeah. three, they can bring things back up and we can all save the day and everything yeah, can be bright. Mean, um, with, I guess I can't remember if this said is Thanos, the villain for two or is he being saved for three? I can't remember. Uh, he's, I think he's going to be the villain. Yeah. But I think I think that he's going to be the villain in Guardians of the Galaxy, and I think hmm. that he's also going to be the villain in the Avengers too. But that's of course all crazy rumors. I mean, just reading up on that character alone, and you know how it's definitely going to get darker by the time we get to two, if if they're following that character's uh, arc. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, uh, so I guess maybe this is just like getting the audience ready. <laughs> and I mean, uh, Thor two is called what? Isn't it called like the dark uh, world? Yeah, the dark world. <laughs> so, and just seeing that trailer, you're like, yeah, this is definitely different than the first one. <laughs> yeah, we don't we don't have a lot of uh, information on the new Captain America yet, but I'm pretty. I, I, I think I, it's pretty safe to assume it's going to be darker. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, the subtitle is The Winter Soldier, and um, I didn't know who that was until I saw the Avengers animated TV show. Oh, yeah. Which, which if you haven't seen, is a fantastic series. Yeah, that was my introduction to the Avengers, and I uh, saw, like, it was the last episode of the last season was probably, the could have been an amazing movie if they ever made it. But, um, yeah, so when, if... And the character, if they do go with that Winter Soldier arc, that will be a dark one, too. So. Oh, I think that, yeah, I think that they're going to... From what I um, read, they're going to do back and forth with flashbacks on the new one uh, to, to see where he comes from and, and everything. I don't want to mm-hmm. say who it is because yeah. I don't know if people know who that is. But anyway, let's, let's go ahead and talk about some spoilers for Iron Man 3. So 
okay, if you haven't so... if you haven't seen the film yet, please I'll, we'll put the the time code in the show notes. So just skip over this part, and we're now in a spoiler section. So I guess the first we can start off by talking about the Mandarin. Mm-hmm. And what did you think about how they did that with him um, not really being the Mandarin and all that stuff? Yeah. Uh, did you um, know who the Mandarin was? Did you read the comics at all? Uh, I, I knew that I was never a fan of the Iron Man comics, uh, so I didn't know the Mandarin too well. But if I'm not mistaken, he was like the arch, he was like the big arch villain to Iron Man, right? Yeah, he was supposed to be, I guess, the Joker yeah. to... Uh, to uh batman but um yeah i never i never really read the comics and i knew of the mandarin uh, especially when iron man one came out and people were talking about uh the ten rings and whatever that was mm-hmm. <laughs> and there was always like oh mandarin mandarin it's like saying it's like and uh, i just read cursory descriptions of who the character was. I was like okay and then based on the trail i'm like this looks like a really cool villain but when when the reveal was that he isn't who he says he was. <laughs> I thought that was brilliant. I was like dying laughing. I was like, I was expecting it's like, it's like saying the Joker. <laughs> it's like the Joker suddenly takes his mask off and it's Robin Williams. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, what? <laughs> and, uh, but I thought that was great. I mean, I'm sure that is definitely something that will irritate the hell out of uh, diehard fans. But for people, I think I've heard her descriptions like if you're not a fan of the series you'll love it but if you if you uh, know the character intimately you're gonna hate it and i can see how, i can see how it is i mean it's like uh for me uh it's like when they took jack nicholson's joker and made him the killer of bruce's parents when everybody knows it was just some random criminal right who got away so i'm like mm. but um I, I love that that shane black took that gamble and did that and obviously Marvel would obviously have final script approval and they were totally for it because otherwise it wouldn't have been that way. Uh, but I really loved how they handled it where you're only thinking, I was like, okay, um, is he trying to pull the wool over Stark's eyes? Is he caught? And he's like trying to like deflect yeah. and like make him think that he's not. Yeah. That's what and I then, was thinking gonna, the whole time. Yeah. And then he's going to pull the rug out from under him. It's like, ha, huh, I am the man and I just got you. And then, but then like, it's like, no, he really is Trevor. <laughs> well, I mean, and Ben, and Ben Kingsley was amazing in that. <laughs> yeah. I, I loved his, his kind of transformation in that. I thought that that was great. And, it it also kind of makes up for the weird voice that he would do as the Mandarin as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, I guess they could, it could still be that he was pulling the wool over our eyes, you know? I mean, yeah, we... he doesn't get killed in it or anything. So maybe he mm-hmm. is, but it could be uh, like a Raza cool thing where it was like, uh, is he alive or is he dead? It's like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like... I, I didn't, I didn't mind it too much. I thought that it was an interesting choice because the mm-hmm. whole time, like you said, I was like wondering, like, is it a double? Is it not really him? Is he pretending? Like, w- what's going on here? And I, I think that it was kind of funny that they just went with it. And uh, and I love how Tony Stark even says, well, you're a double, right? <laughs> like, you're not the real guy. <laughs> it's like, what? Wait a minute. And so, um, yeah, I thought that was an entertaining uh, twist on a villain, especially one that's built up to saying, it's like, okay, this is probably going to be a real malicious yeah. Guy. It's like now it's like what what did you think of uh Pepper getting the the injection with the crazy super serum stuff? Um 
I didn't really mind that too much. Um, I mean, I guess as it progressed, I get no wait, actually, probably after her, uh, fortunately, we're in the spoiler section. Uh, hopefully, I, I was thinking after her death, her quote unquote death, and then I realized, like, oh, wait, she's got the serum. Yeah. And I was like, oh, is she going to be like another superhero, too? <laughs> so I was thinking they were going that route, but, um, but then I guess once you get to the very end, then uh, that'll kind of clear things up. But I, I didn't mind too much. I, I thought it was okay, but uh, one of the nitpicks that I have is if she falls 200 feet into a essentially an explosion with flames, mm-hmm. she falls into fire, and yeah. she walks out, and none of her hair is burnt, none of her clothes are burnt <laughs> off. <laughs> She's just it was just normal. Like, don't you think? Well, I guess, that, I guess they. Well, that is true. Um, that's a nitpick. And, and on they're... the other, yeah, on the other characters, that same thing where they they burn up, but they still have their clothes. Yeah, exactly. Their their, their clothes <laughs> don't burn off. The only the only clothes that burn off are Guy Pierce's shirt. Like that was mm-hmm. that was it. His shirt burned off, so we could see. His... Yeah, I think he was told. I think it was totally burned at the end. But yeah, I remember other guys, uh, especially the main villain, the the main henchman. I think he he goes full flame on, and he still has his clothes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like okay. Yeah, uh, I thought that's, that, a that's a nitpick, but I it wasn't enough to to bother me really. I know that mm-hmm. some people are probably really bothered by a lot of the things that that go on in this movie, but I mean it. Uh, the The box office numbers are certainly yeah. you know yeah hundred seventy five point three opening weekend. It's going to be what number two of all time yeah, next to Avengers. Time. Yep. So. Yeah. yeah. Any other spoilers you want to talk about before we get out of this? Um, obviously, the the ending where uh, he t- has the shards finally removed. Yeah, and I thought Art. again, I don't read the comic books, so I'm not sure if they if that happened in the comic books. But I I kind of wish that they didn't do that because it's always I always liked that that's kind of an underlying issue, something that he always has to be aware of. And be concerned about, mm-hmm. yeah. And I but think that to, to tie in with that, he was like, hey, "This one, this one's mostly about his worries and concerns that he can't protect the people he loves." And I guess having the shards in him could easily prevent him from doing that. But the way the movie unfolded with Tony spending most of the time out of the suit, I really think they were preparing the audience for when he comes back to not spend as much time in the suit. That could as be. before and he's still like as they show he's still just as good as a crime fighter and detective without the suit so um and even without the shards and the arc reactor in his chest he can still use the suit right i mean just Rhodes. Rhodes doesn't have the arc reactor yeah exactly so he's able to use the war machine or iron patriot as it is in here so i definitely can see uh that going down and it's when you see the end, people are like, oh, I remember hearing one person booing at the end and people are like, oh, is it over? I can't believe you did that. It's like Stark Tower is still standing in New York City. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there's obviously still Iron Man suits there. Yeah, and I think it'll it's be mansion. I think it'll be interesting to see because, you know, he decided to blow all of the Iron Man suits up. And I'm not sure mm-hmm. why he did that, like why he decided that he wanted to do that, because we know well, Stark's impulsive and that's probably just to appease his girlfriend at that moment and he obviously <laughs> must have noticed more 
all over the place. <laughs> yeah, you know that on his drive home, he was regretting that. Like, fuck. There was that. I mean, he, he drove away with the uh, with the machine that uh, helps him uh, put the stuff together. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, he's not done. <laughs> well, I think it'll and, uh, it'll be interesting to see what kind of suit he comes up with next. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, the uh, end teaser I kind of enjoyed, where he was uh, using Bruce Banner as a therapist. Oh yeah, Banner falls asleep and like, I'm not a therapist. <laughs> yeah, I thought that that was fun. That was like the shawarma. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, very much like that. And it really wasn't setting anything up. It was just like a cute tag. I, I kind of wish to see some maybe Guardians of the Galaxy footage or Ant Man or even even mm. um, Captain America. That would have been nice, but whatever. And we'll probably get that in Thor or something. Yeah. All right, let's go ahead and get out of this spoiler zone here. So Iron Man three, probably. What do you think? You think it's gonna beat us? Uh, uh, Superman, Man of Steel, this summer. Um, that's hard to call. I mean, for Man of Steel, it took me a while to finally warm up to what Zack Snyder was doing, and uh, but um, I have a feeling Iron Man will probably beat it because based on, I mean, just based on Superman Returns, which opened big but then faded away. Uh, I have a feeling Superman is just not as big. <laughs> As characters in the Marvelverse, um, yeah, even though he's like the grand, like he's the granddaddy, but Superman Returns, I think, I think Iron Man's gonna beat that gross in its first week because I think Superman Returns uh-huh. made something like two two hundred million or something like yeah. that, two two hundred two fifty, and yeah, but they still considered it a flop, oddly enough. <laughs> yeah, and Iron Man three is already at one hundred and seventy five. Uh-huh. And it's yeah. first week, so first weekend. First weekend, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> probably be like no, probably two fifty by the first week. <laughs> I mean, it, it as of now, it's not going to beat the Avengers for number one, but it mm-hmm. who knows? It, it might. Yeah, it could very well end up being the number one movie of the year. So. Uh, was your was your theater packed? Because I know mine was. Yeah, yeah, mine was uh, one of the bigger theaters, and I would say. 90%, 95% full. And they were playing into like seven screens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was, it was packed. So, And the audience was uh, pretty stoked for pretty much everything. I think it goes without saying, but if you haven't seen Iron Man 3 yet, go out and see it now. Um, actually, have you? did you see it in 3D? I did not see okay. it in 3D. I didn't either, uh, so... <laughs> I, my friends saw it in 3D, and they're saying it was cool in 3D, but you don't really need to see it in 3D. I'm like, mm, okay. <laughs> I, um, I, I made a decision that I'm not going to see any 3D movies unless it's actually shot in 3D from now on. Right, right. So yeah, I'm trying to make that decision. Uh, I know I'm seeing Star Trek and IMAX 3D, but that was before I heard that it was post-3D, but I'll still see it in IMAX because it's supposed to be reformatted for IMAX screens. Yeah, that, that'll still be That'll still be good. So, all right, mm-hmm. Iron Man three. Uh, you gave it an eight out of ten on the site. Uh, yep. I'm also going to give it an eight out of ten. So, definitely, yep. definitely worth checking out. Uh, let's move on. Talk about uh, some predictions. Next week we have, and this, these are Rotten Tomatoes predictions, by the way. Mm-hmm. So next week we have The Great Gatsby. Uh, what are you thinking on this? Um. It's Baz, so it'd be a mixed bag. I would probably go they'll go sixty nine. 
Okay. On that one. I mean, I'm still not sure. Yeah, well, same here. It, like, I think that I'm going to go see it, but... I mean, I know I got to see it in 3D because it was shot in 3D, but I'm still wondering why was it shot in 3D? Yeah, that, I don't know. I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say like a 74 on that, I guess, 74. Mm. And then we have Peoples. Mm. <laughs> uh, not... Not directed by Tyler Perry, but presented by Tyler Perry. Oh, I didn't. Still. I didn't even know it was presented by him. That's that's yeah. Terrible. Yeah, I'm not even sure who the director is. I'm but, gonna um, guess 15 on that. Yeah, that might be kind. I'll go 10. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's but. that's pretty much it for wide release stuff. Uh, we do have Aftershock hitting theaters in limited mm. release next weekend and that's not directed by Eli Roth. I know a lot of people think that, but mm-hmm. it's just presented by him and it stars him. But what do you think uh we won't we won't predict these, but just what do you think as far as are you going to go see Aftershock? Are you interested in it? It's uh it's probably more of a curiosity. I saw I can't remember when or where I saw the trailer, but I when I saw the trailer like I didn't know what it was, but I'm like, oh, okay. But um once you get beyond the whole earthquake angle of it, it just seems to fall into like something like Judgment Night or uh, any other uh, Survive the Night thrillers in, in gangland territory. So, I mean, beyond the uh, the earthquake thing, I don't know how good it could possibly be. So, yeah, I'll still see it, but I'm not too sure. Yeah, it's really good. same here. I mean, this played the festivals last year. And I think that it got pretty mixed reviews. Like, uh, like you said, the the whole earthquake thing is cool and and trying to survive and get out after an earthquake. But then apparently there's like a killer, like one like somebody that was in that club with them is is a killer, and so they're trying to escape the from him as well. So it turns hmm. into this like slasher that that incorporates like a disaster film. He's a killer who uses earthquakes and then hunts down his victims. <laughs> That's what he does. He just waits. He waits for the earthquake, <laughs> then he strikes. Yeah. He like maybe once in a blue moon. <laughs> I pretty much see every horror movie, so I'll probably be checking this out when I get a chance. I doubt it's going to be playing in my area. but uh, mm-hmm. The other one that I'm actually quite interested in, and we will be reporting on this next week, is Sightseers, Ben Wheatley's new film. And this is the guy that that directed Kill List, which I absolutely loved. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I thought that was a great movie. I'm very interested to see uh, Sightseers, but we will be reporting on that next week. All right, DVD and Blu-ray releases. This is for Tuesday, May seventh, two thousand thirteen. We have Jack Reacher. Have you seen this one? Yeah, yeah. I didn't think it was uh, too bad. Yeah. Um, same here. Uh, of, of interesting note, um, without giving out too much of a spoiler. I know there was a big deal with gangster squad being delayed because of the shootout and, uh, Aurora. Um, but that was like, uh, kind of was disappointed in that, but with Jack Reacher, there is an event oh. that is just as oh my goodness. potent. And I distinctly remember hearing gasps in the audience as it's going down. I'm like, I'm amazed they didn't pull this one. I mean, like, okay <laughs> uh yeah but i still thought it was pretty effective i i yeah yeah they were there were gasps in the theater when i saw this too and just that that whole opening scene was the way that they shot it how there was like almost no sound at all and, mm-hmm. and that was incredible but mm-hmm. uh overall i thought that it was 
a slightly just above average action movie, but I didn't I did enjoy it. Yeah, I liked it. Screw is going around kicking ass. Yeah. And then we have Mama. Uh, I did not get a chance to see this, but I'll probably be checking it out when it comes out this week. I think somebody reviewed it on the site and they kind of liked it. I didn't like it at all. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I I might I might check this out. Uh, then we have Safe Haven, Nicholas Sparks. I know that nobody wanted to review yeah, this. I was, yeah, yeah, I was kind of disappointed that I missed that one. But uh, but a funny tie-in with Safe Haven was um, I was on a plane flying back from, I guess it was the East Coast, and they have uh, on the TVs, you can watch whatever you want. I was watching The Walking Dead. <laughs> I guess having what the person next to me was watching. He's this big, burly guy who looks like a UFC fighter. <laughs> He was watching Safe Haven. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I'm like, 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 really? Okay, I guess he wants his, uh, he gets in touch with his emotional side. <laughs> I was like, hmm, uh, cool. Whatever. Yeah, I skip that one. <laughs> whatever. Yeah, I would, <laughs> I would skip that one. Uh, also, we have Starlet coming out. This, this got nominated for quite a few Independent Spirit Awards. I didn't get a chance to see it back then, but uh, I am yeah. interested. Yeah, I wanted to see that at AFI, but all the screenings were sold out last year, so I totally missed that one. Yeah, I am I am interested in that one as well. And then uh, finally, we have Superman Unbound. This is one of these uh, direct-to-DVD DC animated mm-hmm. movies, and I actually yeah. I actually like most of these. Uh, yeah. I remember there was one that came out a couple years ago called Justice League Doom, I think, mm-hmm. and that was really good. I think the last one I saw was the can't remember the name of it, but it dealt with red something red. Oh, the red, red, red hood. Yeah, yeah, that was the red hood one. That one was pretty good. Yeah. That was the Batman yeah. one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that one was pretty good. Uh, since then, they came out with uh, Justice League Doom, and then there was a Batman. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's a two part Batman one that came yeah, out. The uh, Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, Dark Knight uh, adaptation. Mm-hmm. And I actually did not like that one. Most people were really into that one, but for whatever reason, I just didn't. I don't like uh, uh, Peter Weller was the voice of Batman in that. Really? Yeah, he's the RoboCop. Yeah, RoboCop. (laughs) (laughs) And I couldn't get past that. (laughs) So I don't know. Step away from your vehicle. There will be trouble. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Batman. Yeah, I, I could not get past that. But Superman Unbound, I, I'll probably check that out too just to see. Generally, not that into Superman stories, but who knows? Mm-hmm. It, it might be decent. So, yeah. All right, I think that that wraps it up. For all the latest film news and reviews, visit us at filmpulse.net. We want to hear your feedback. Send us an email at feedback at filmpulse.net. Follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net. And be sure to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. For filmpulse.net, my name is Adam. And this is Ernie. And we will see you on Wednesday for Ryan Watches a Movie.